Hello, my name is Andrew Gamison, and I would like to welcome you to this edition of the Speaking For Him podcast. So very grateful that you've decided to join us today, and I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope that you are finding God faithful in all of the challenges of your life, and I hope that as you listen today, you will find some encouragement for this journey that we call the Christian life. That is the goal of the Speaking For Him podcast each and every week is to give you that encouragement to keep on keeping on. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad to have you here. We'd love to have you reach out and let us know what you think of the show. If you are a returner, thank you for your continued support. It really does mean a lot. Well, today I'm going to share a movie review of the new Walton's Thanksgiving movie that the CW did, which premiered on November 20th and is currently available to stream on the CW app. So I think you're going to enjoy this review, and I think this will be another movie that you will enjoy watching with your family. It's not the 70s era Waltons, and it's never going to really measure up to that, but on its own, it is a very nice, heartwarming story, which I think you will enjoy. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go on. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Well, as you know, over the last year plus, the Democratic Party has fronted a full-out assault on the pro-life movement and on the sanctity of human life, saying that abortion is health care, which is their usual tactic, but really pushing it in these elections. The sole focus of Gretchen Whitmer here in Michigan was convincing people that Tudor Dixon was dangerous for Michigan because of her uncompromising pro-life stance, and she was successful. Uh, we had more than 50% of Michigan voters vote for Proposal 3, making Michigan one of the most pro-abortion states in the union. And we've had other states like New York and California give a no-holds-barred view to the idea of abortion being available at any time for any reason. So it is not without irony that Chuck Schumer issued this proclamation. We're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers, but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are. That was Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer pushing for mass amnesty for at least the 11 million migrants, uh, immigrants living illegally in the United States. Joining us right now is Texas Congressman, member of the House Armed Services Committee, Pat Fallon. Congressman, good to see you. Thanks very much. So how do you react to Schumer's comments? You know, Maria, it kind of puzzles me because if Chuck Schumer is worried about our declining birth rate, I wonder why he's so pro-abortion. It doesn't make any sense. It's inconsistent. But then again, if the Democrats didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all. This clip really does speak for itself, but allow me to consider this with you. 
It is absolutely laughable that Chuck Schumer, a man who, among other people, has spent the last year and a half to two years pushing the agenda that abortion is health care, that everyone should be allowed to kill their children at any stage for any reason because liberty is now saying we don't have enough people being born here in the U.S., so we need to bring in illegal immigrants and make it easier for them to stay in America. Now, let me preface this by saying I believe that the immigration process should be easier. I've watched many couples that I know struggle with the immigration process. I have many couples in my friend group who are married to people from other countries, and I've seen the struggle. I do think it needs to be easier. That being said, it is absolutely comical that a man who believes that babies should be killed in mass would then say, we don't have enough people here, so let's bring in all the illegals we can. Make no mistake, folks, this is about votes. The left side of the ledger has done all they can to make voting easier than ever, to deregulate it, and now they want to bring in a mass of illegal immigrants, partially so they can control the voting process. And the reality is that if we need people to do jobs Perhaps it's because we have allowed 60 plus million people slip through our fingers and be killed in the name of convenience and progress. So let's call it what it is. Let's tell Chuck Schumer that no, we do not need an influx of 11 million illegal immigrants to be able to come in with no standards whatsoever. What we need is for people to be encouraged to have children of their own. What we need is for people to be encouraged to choose life-affirming options like adoption instead of choosing to end the lives of an eternal being, which is a human life. And make no mistake, we are eternal beings. The question is not whether we will have eternal life. The question is where will we have eternal life, either heaven or hell. And I'm thankful that these unborn babies will find a place in the kingdom of heaven, in the bosom of the Father, but that is no excuse for snuffing them out early on in their development process. How can we, as a society, say that we are for freedom and for liberty when we are snuffing out the most vulnerable among us? How can we? This clip that I just played for you shows the height of liberal hypocrisy. There's no two ways about it. We do need more workers. And so the solution is this. Get married, have babies, and raise them to glorify God. That is the solution to providing more workers for our country. And I want to put forth this idea, too, that a lot of times the problem is when we think about the population and we think about adding to the population, we think of everyone as takers. 
But the reality is that everybody has the capacity to be a giver. Everybody has the capacity to be an innovator. Everybody has the capacity to be a world changer, but only if they're given life. So who knows what doctors, what revolutionary farmers, what explorers, what innovators we are snuffing out because we believe that it's more convenient and more right to take these children's lives than to make the sacrifices necessary to care for them. The reality is that a quality life is only established by sacrifice. The founding fathers gave us this nation that we have because they were willing to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. So we need to be willing to do similar things for this generation. I hope that this will make you think. And I think that regardless of whether you are pro-choice in any form or not, you should at least be able to think about the math and think that maybe we are headed in the wrong direction. The next story that I want to talk to you about deals with Thanksgiving, which we just celebrated. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving and that you enjoyed time with family and friends. I know I did. Uh, We went to my brother's house and had a wonderful time, and I'm thankful for that. But this is a response from Fox News of a MSNBC host talking about the myth of Thanksgiving. For millions of Americans, it's a day of cherished traditions. And as Americans, we certainly value those traditions. But it's also important to unpack the myth of Thanksgiving. It is a holiday riddled with historical inaccuracies. Built on this myth that the indigenous welcomed their colonizers with open arms and ears of corn. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, too, Joy Reid. On Wednesday, the MSNBC host opened her show by starting to, quote, unpack Thanksgiving, despite it being a cherished tradition for Americans. Let's bring in Tom Shalou, comedian and Fox News contributor. Tom, uh, not getting the thanks in her Thanksgiving message there. Well, it is amazing because even if you look at the world the way that Joy Reid does, can't you just take one day off from all your genocide and racism talk? I mean, you can do that for 364 days, but it's called Thanksgiving for a reason. We want to take one day to sit down, to focus on the good, and to be appreciative and to say thanks for what we have. So no matter what, if you look at history, you can always look at the negative sides or you can look at the positive sides. And for people who do share Joy Reid's perspective, I would encourage them to always, I always use the phrase, compared to what? So when they're talking about the behavior of America's founders or basically any era in American history all the way through the civil rights movement, you can look at it and you can look at the bad things. Let's take civil rights. You can look at all of the bad things people did or you can look at all of the heroic acts and all of the good things that the people involved in the civil rights movement did to bring about the world we live in today. It's the same with the pilgrims and the founding. We can look at all of the good that was done. And if you look at America in terms of any country that was colonized, there was bloodshed, there was violence. But if you look at America compared to what? Compared to all of these other civilizations, we stack up pretty well. 
Well, and she has, you know, her worldview, as you're pointing out, is really the glass is half empty, not half full. But, you know, it occurs to me, Tom, that eventually people get tired of the negativity. Am I wrong there? I think they are. I think they are. And I think most, you know, most people don't think like this. I know that she has a certain group of people that she's, you know, performing for. And that's probably what her monologue was for. People who are never happy. But I don't think most people think this way. I mean, we had a couple of celebrations yesterday. You kind of go from house to house and most people are thankful. Most people want to take a day to show their appreciation. So I think if she wants to be sour, that's her audience. She can do that. But I would say most of America doesn't feel that way. I feel like saying, here we go again, because every time I talk about something historical on this podcast, I have to preface it by saying that I know that we have made mistakes in the past, but that does not mean that there isn't good things to come out of what we are discussing. When I discussed Columbus Day on this podcast, I talked about how Columbus was not perfect, how he made mistakes, but how one of his main goals was to bring the gospel to the new world. And that his flaws do not make him an insignificant historical figure. The raping and pillaging that were mentioned in regards to him and have become a mainstay of the left were largely done, if not completely done, by people that he left in certain places. And when he found out about these activities and atrocities, he was not happy. It was not something that was acceptable to him. And I find it interesting that Joy Reid here is saying that Thanksgiving is all about a false narrative of history, when in reality, what she is decrying is not just the colonial Thanksgiving, even if she were to say that there were some bad things that happened when the colonists came, which is true, she'd be missing the story of the fact that Tisquantum or Squanto really did help the colonists stay alive that first winter, that the colonists really were giving thanks to God for what he had given them, and that there were good people and bad people coexisting in every era of life. But I want to point out that one of the first official Thanksgiving proclamations in our country, as a country, was actually in November of 1864 in the heart of the Civil War when Abraham Lincoln made his proclamation. And do I need to remind you that at this point in the Civil War especially, that Abraham Lincoln and others like him realized the need to fight for the liberty of all men? And that although the Civil War was not fought exclusively about slavery, it did become a central issue. So when she's decrying Thanksgiving, she's also decrying the Thanksgiving proclamation of the great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln. And I know there are some that decry what he had to say and what he stood for and say that he was just grandstanding and just posturing and didn't really feel this way. I also understand that he was not perfect. 
But I will say what I often say when I bring up historical events. If someone were to look back at you in history someday, what flaws would prevent them from seeing you as a significant part of history? We all have flaws. The issue is not that we don't have flaws. The issue is that we take our flaws and hopefully we learn something from them to make us better people. And Abraham Lincoln gave us a proclamation of Thanksgiving in November of 1864, just a few short months before the Civil War would be decided and slavery would forever be abolished in the United States. To act like slavery is a United States invention, or that we created it, or that we have not made progress since that time, is foolishness. And we have much to be thankful for, and I'm super thankful for Abraham Lincoln's 1864 November Proclamation, which laid the groundwork for the modern Thanksgiving that we now celebrate. So even if you want to distance yourself from the colonial celebration of Thanksgiving, which I think is unnecessary, you can still look at this proclamation and be thankful. And as a person who comes from this background of being marginalized and possibly having ancestors who are slaves, Joy Reid should be thankful for Abraham Lincoln and his Thanksgiving proclamation. Does that mean that we are perfect? Does that mean that there aren't still bad people in the world? No. But the reality is, folks, there are bad people in every era of history. And it is not our job to sanitize history or act like that stuff did not happen, but it's also not our job to dwell on that stuff. It's our job to push forward to realize that the greatest opportunity for any people group is here in the United States because we have liberty. We have the opportunity to pursue the things that we want to pursue and to pursue success in whatever we want to do. And hopefully, as believers, we're doing this to the glory of God. You see, we need to realize that true liberty is in serving the one true God. The Founding Fathers were not all Christians, but they did realize that the key to liberty was personal responsibility. If nobody takes personal responsibility, liberty will fail. We need to realize that. Okay, on to something a little bit more fun. Uh, I talked last week about the upcoming Michigan-Ohio State rivalry game. Every year it's heated. The last two years it has had great significance because the winner has gone on to the Big Ten Championship. Well, Michigan went into the horseshoe in Columbus, a road game against Ohio State, a place that they had not won in 22 years, and they brought home the victory 45-23. to 23. C.J. Stroud goes through his progression. Stroud just throws it forward, and it's intercepted. Taylor Upshaw just plucks it out of the air, and the Wolverines have the football. That's the first turnover of the game. And the 
What a second half. Wow. I'll tell you what. Complete domination for the Wolverines over their arch rivals, the Ohio State Buckeyes, here in the second half. Extra point good. 45-23. Another look at Donovan Edwards. Thus, when you've got nobody deep, you have got to be gap sound. And when you're not gap sound, this is what happens. Timmy hooks the tackle, and at that point, boom, it's gone. That's what a great offensive line can do. Edwards, 205 yards rushing this half. 45-23 was the final. Michigan wins. They will be playing the Big Ten Championship against Purdue this coming Saturday, and I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about the way Michigan played. I'm very excited that they silenced the doubters. But I think a slightly more significant thing as far as would relate to this podcast is that I really like the fact that it validated Jim Harbaugh. And the reason that I say this is a few months ago, Jim Harbaugh took a lot of heat for speaking at a pro-life banquet and people said he should be fired from the University of Michigan for taking such a narrow view. They were mad at him. Uh, They had reason to be a little frustrated in the past with the way that his football teams performed, but he was doing so well as a coach. And so I, I like the fact that this is further validation of him and that someone can hold a high moral standard and still be excellent at their job. Uh, And I really appreciate this for him. I'm wishing him all the best against Purdue in the Big Ten Championship. And I also like the fact that, if you remember, Jim Harbaugh did not back down from his pro-life stance. As a matter of fact, when he was asked about it again, he said that he had told his players and his coaches that if any of them were in a crisis pregnancy, he and his wife would take the baby and raise it themselves. That's how committed they are to their pro-life stance. And I like the fact that he never apologized. He never backpedaled. He just said, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And I'm going to continue to believe it. And that's the type of people that we need in the public sphere. I think sometimes we get a little bit narrow-minded and we think that certain spheres do not need Christian influence. And in some ways you might be right, but I think these players on Michigan benefit from having a man of moral fortitude and courage. And my prayer and hope is that it rubs off on each of these players and that they remember the type of man that Jim Harbaugh is. I would also like to say a word about CJ Stroud. He played his heart out. I played a clip from him last week and he still gave praise to his Lord and savior even in the post-game press conference where he was wrecked and disappointed for having lost. So my hat's off to you, CJ. I hope that you do well in your next endeavor um, and that as you go on to the NFL, you will continue to shine a light for the Lord Jesus. Uh, But I'm super glad that Michigan got it done and came out on top, and I'm super excited to see them perform in the Big Ten Championship 
and then hopefully go on to the college football playoff. Well, today, as I said, we are doing another movie review. This one is a Walton's Thanksgiving. Uh, This is the second movie in the CW's revival of the Waltons. Remember last year they did a revival of the Waltons Homecoming, which was basically a reboot of the premiere movie that started the whole Waltons TV series, which was created and conceived uh, by Earl Hamner based on his own childhood growing up in a big family in Virginia. And I really appreciated the Waltons. I still watch it. I'm actually watching through it for the second time. And I just really enjoy it. I think it teaches very good lessons. I think it's very realistic drama. And just seeing how the family plays off each other and how they support each other, it's a wonderful thing to behold. And so when they announced this reboot last year I was a little bit nervous and I told you some of my um, misgivings about the original movie but I still thought it was worth watching and I will share some more of those thoughts in regards to this movie in just a few moments Uh, but before I do that I want to share with you uh, the trailer for a Walton's Thanksgiving Hi, I'm Richard Thomas, and I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. We're not only grateful for all those blessings we've received, but we're also reminded of the precious role that giving plays with a family called the Waltons. Streaming now on The CW. We have so much to be grateful for. I thank the good Lord every day for this family. The Waltons return in an all-new holiday special. We thank you for this family in our heart. In a new story of the true meaning of giving. Can I stay here tonight? I don't have anywhere else to go. I feel like he deserves a family that can love and support him like he's never known before. We do have plenty of that to spare. You're a good man, John Walton. And I'm nothing without you. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Libby. Good night, Mary Ellen. Good night, Aaron. Good night, John Boy. A Walton's Thanksgiving. Stream free now, only on the CW app. Okay, so first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the people that starred in this movie. Bellamy Young returns as Olivia. Uh, Richard Thomas is the narrator. He's the original John Boy Walton, and he has agreed to be the narrator for these new movies. Logan Schroyer uh, is John Boy. Teddy Sears comes on as John Walton. He is a replacement. Uh, last year, it was a different gentleman. So that was kind of an interesting thing to see. Marcel LeBlanc was Mary Ellen Walton. Christian Finlayson is Jason Walton. Rebecca Kuhn is Grandma. Samuel Gorgon is Jim Bob Walton. Tatum Matthews is Aaron Walton. Alpha Trevette, Grandpa, and Kelway Corrick, Elizabeth Walton. And, of course, that's only a few of the many people that star in uh, this film. I thought it was very heartwarming, and I enjoyed it. There are some things that, as I said, I don't 
really like that are different from the original series. For one thing, they took Ben away from the show uh, and gave the Waltons only six children in last year's movie. Well, this year they decided, because of outcry from the fans, that they would bring Ben back as an orphan who the Waltons take in by the end of the film. So I kind of like the way they handled it. Uh, I think that was probably better than just putting Ben back and acting like he was never missing. And I'll be interested to see how things go going forward. Apparently there is already a third Walton's movie planned, so I'm not sure if it's going to be around another holiday or if they're just going to release it at another time of year. Uh, But I'm kind of excited to find out and see what they do. For my quote of the day today, I wanted to share with you a little paragraph from the review from ChannelGuideMag.com who says, Along the way, important life lessons are learned many at the Walton dining room table. This is wholesome, sentimental entertainment for the entire family, a slice of life full of nostalgia for simpler times in rural America. Fans of the series should find much to enjoy. Now, I looked at the IMDb reviews for this film, and I have to say a lot of them were very low, like in the 1 to 3 range out of 10. And I understand what these people are saying. I really enjoy the genuine article. I was hesitant when I found out that they were even rebooting this franchise because it is so beloved. And I think given that fact, I will start out with a couple things that I don't really appreciate about the new iteration. Uh, one is that they seem a little more well off than the Waltons of the seventies. Although I think part of what they were putting forth is this idea that as you watch the old show, uh, John boy constantly, reminds us in his opening narration that even though they didn't have much money, they always had plenty to go around. And the way that their parents treated them and treated their life made them feel rich, even though they weren't. So I do think that was part of what was being portrayed there. The next thing I want to mention is that the grandparents don't live with them. They live in some separate location, which I think takes away from the family dynamic because part of the whole charm of the original show was grandpa and grandma living with them and uh, working in community to do the best they could for the family. Uh, so that that's the second thing. The next thing I would say right off the bat that I didn't really like is that part of the charm of the show, once again, is that although the Baldwin ladies make the recipe, which is in essence moonshine, they don't necessarily realize the harm of this alcoholic drink. They're kind of naive to the fact that it actually is a bootleg whiskey. And in this particular iteration, when we're going into a Thanksgiving festival with food contests and the like, they say that they persuaded the organizers to do a special beverages category so that they can get 
uh, their papa's recipe into the contest, basically acknowledging that they realize that it's alcoholic. And so to me, that takes away some of the charm of the show. But on the flip side, to talk about some things that I really liked, I really like the interplay between John Boy and Elizabeth. I was watching an old Walton's episode uh, last night and seeing Richard Thomas and Cammie Cotler interact after the death of their mother's unborn baby because she was expecting an eighth child. The baby died. Elizabeth is very sad and broken up. And Richard Thomas's John Boy comes in and comforts Cammie Cotler's Elizabeth and says, it's going to be okay. I love you. I'm here for you. We're in this together. And then he's doing a poem and unbraiding her hair, and it was just such a gentle, sweet moment. And I see some of that in the interplay between the new John Boy and Elizabeth and how uh, tore up he gets when she wanders off and gets lost in the woods. And so I was really glad to see that relationship dynamic. I think one of the things that kind of throws me off somewhat is that there's a little bit different character arcs than in the original show. I think I told you that one of the things that I didn't like about the original movie from last year was the fact that they changed the outlooks and outcomes for some major characters. Like they made Mary Ellen want to be a pilot. And in this movie, they've kind of shown Aaron to want to be an actress. She tries to do a monologue from Romeo and Juliet, gets too nervous, doesn't get it done. Um, And so her family and friends rally around her despite that fact. And even the lady doing the contest um, kind of covers for her in her stage fright. But I just remember that being more of the Mary Ellen character and less the Aaron character in the original show. So if you're looking at it through the lens of the original show, then you will definitely see some inconsistencies there. Uh, But I, I, I think that the spirit of the show is definitely still intact. So for positives, we have a very warm and strong relationship between um, Mr. and Mrs. Walton, uh, the mother and the father, which is so well portrayed uh, by Ralph Way and Michael Lernard in the original show. Very much comes through uh, with these two actors, and I really appreciate that... They had a natural chemistry, which I could believe. I think one of the most interesting developments of this new show is the discovery of Ben, who ends up being a carnival worker for a man who is a traveling carny and took him in as a foster child, but mainly to do slave labor. So Ben is working this duck game, Uh, and Elizabeth comes along and wants the big prize, the big stuffed bunny that is being offered as a prize for this game. 
What she does not know is that the owner of the carnival game has made it impossible for her to actually win the big prize. But Ben takes compassion on her and allows her to do so. And then this carnival worker gets so mad and really beats up Ben as apparently he has been doing as a pattern. And then Mr. Walton intercedes and eventually Ben is adopted by the Waltons and comes to live with them and learns for the first time what safety and love is all about. And I really did appreciate that. Again, even though Ben was in the original series and he was not adopted, he was a Walton, I really like the way they handled this because I think that it plays better than just putting him back and acting like he was never gone in the first place. Because I do think there are some times when shows will do similar things like that. I'm reminded of Boy Meets World when uh, the original youngest daughter, Morgan, the actress wanted to leave the show. And so they just had her kind of disappear from the storylines. And about a year later, she was back. And they made some kind of joke about her being upstairs in her bedroom for a really long time. So I really think this is a better way to do that. And then you had side storylines like Grandma having won the pie contest for so many years in a row at this fall festival and Olivia feeling pressure because she is a judge of the contest and not wanting to let her uh, mother-in-law down. But then you see... uh, Grandma Walton, on purpose, allow her husband to crush her pie so there won't be any chance that she'll win, so that will be less pressure on Olivia. Um, You see the whole family looking for Elizabeth in the woods. Uh, You see Ben making the sacrifice to go look for her, even though he knows he can very well get in trouble leaving his post and he does you see Ben coming to the Waltons for refuge Um, so there's a lot of good things in this story is it everything that the original is no but I think that could have more to do with comparison than actual bad acting from anyone on the show I think it's very interesting when you take an established character and you try to recreate them with somebody else. It creates problems. Uh, Like even on the original show, they brought back John Boy when Richard Thomas left and they had Robert Reitman play the part. There's nothing wrong with Robert Reitman, but he was not Richard Thomas and everybody knew that and it feels stilted and fake and it takes away from the latter part of the series, but it's not the fault of Robert Reitman. It's not the fault of Richard Thomas. It's just an unfortunate thing uh, that happened when they're like, we want to bring back this character, but we no longer have access to the actor. Now, I don't know if they would say this hindsight being 2020, but one thing that I have said repeatedly in reference to the Waltons is the fact that, They would have been much better off negotiating a contract with Richard Thomas 
for two or three episodes a year just so that we could see that John Boy was indeed alive and still thriving in the Waltons universe. And that could be the end of it. Instead of bringing another man into the role, which was so well done by Richard Thomas. It's a bit like thinking that you can uh, recreate the Andy Griffith show without Andy Griffith or Don Knotts. The reality is that they are playing Andy Taylor and Barney Fife, but those characters are so associated with those actors that it's hard, if not impossible, to conceive of anybody else playing these parts. And again, this is another instance where when I watched the 6th through 8th season of the Andy Griffith show, I realized how they tried to replace Barney Fife and they basically failed because instead of creating another character with his own quirks, with his own uh, funny eccentricities, they tried really hard, especially with the very next deputy that came in after Don Knotts to kind of create the Barney Fife character in another person. And it just did not work well. So as far as a lesson for this film, I think there's a lot about family togetherness and about caring for one another. All the sub storylines kind of focus on that. You had some conflict between Mary Ellen and Jason because they were performing in the talent show and Mary Ellen didn't think Jason was committed enough and she got mad at him, but then persuaded him to help her out anyway. And then when she got nervous and flustered, he bailed her out and made their performance do well. They ended up finishing third. And so I really appreciated that. I appreciated, as I said, the Ben storyline, bringing Ben back to the Waltons and just showing the power of love and what that can do for a person. I appreciated uh, the thankfulness to the family and the prayer of thankfulness at the end to the Lord and how grateful they were to him for his goodness. Uh, It was definitely kind of more modern to have the mother pray that prayer. Now, she was with her family, so I suppose it is possible from time to time that that would have happened in that era. But I thought it was kind of one more nod to the modern era in which this is taking place. I really liked um, Richard Thomas's narration. There was a little more narration than there would have been in the old show. Uh, Basically, Earl Hamner would only come on in the beginning of the show, do narration to set it up, and then in the end of the show, he would wrap up with narration. Richard Thomas had more sprinkled without, and I do think it's kind of neat. Um, I remember Richard Thomas saying that he wished that he got the narration for the original show, but then they decided to go with Earl Hamner, and I think it was a good decision for them to do so uh, because the timbre of his voice is just really soothing, and you know when you you hear it that you're going to hear a great uh, Walton's episode. So I would give this film, I think, four out of five stars. Again, I can't really go higher uh, because there are certain aspects of the Walton's nostalgia that it does not create but I still think it's worth watching with your family. It's free to stream right now on the CW app. 
I don't know how long it's going to be there, but I would encourage you to watch it with your family and then just talk about the storylines, talk about what it means to have family togetherness. I think that this is something that we sorely need in our culture. And so even if it's the CW and, and their sometimes faulty attempt to recreate this nostalgia, I think hopefully it makes people think that family togetherness and harmony is a key to our culture. I've said many times on this podcast that the reason that Speaking for Him exists is because I saw the family crumbling. And as the family goes, so goes the culture. And we need things that are going to support a family culture. And the Waltons is one of those things that does that. Even in this modern iteration, I feel like the family has each other's backs. And they want to welcome Ben into that structure. And so I think it speaks well of adoption as well. I wish there was more emphasis on adoption in our culture. And so if something like this can even foster thoughts about that kind of thing, I think that it can be well worth it and a good thing. So I would encourage you to give this film a watch, and I hope that you will... Have a blessed holiday season and that you will be thankful for all the things uh, that God has given us. Um, remember the psalmist said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. And where do we see his mercy most clearly? In the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he lives, so shall we. Well, that's about all I have time for this week, but I hope that you will have a great week. I hope that you will not get too caught up in the busyness of the season, but that you will take the time to thank God for all his wonderful gifts. And above all, I hope that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 